I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Well, it's five. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, This is our Dune discussion panel. We're going to talk about the Fremen today. Last year, we kind of did an overall general deal on Dune. Uh, My name is Jim Arrowwood, and next to me is... John Trilbert and Patrick Kennedy. Yeah. And these two guys know more about sci-fi than I ever hoped to. I learn as much. I doubt that. I've seen a whole podcast and blogs you do. Yeah. I I learn more from these two guys than, than I will ever be able to remember. So at any rate, um... We're going to include information from the books of Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson and Frank Herbert. I assume everybody in the room has read Dune? At least the first one. The first one? Okay. All right. Well, the way that we're doing it on the podcast is we've taken the books, which are not published in order, and we're reading them, though, in the order that, that they fall in with the story. And so from there... I've kind of uh, figured out a timeline that goes along with it. Is there anybody in here who does not like uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin Jay's books? Okay, there, there's, there are those out there. But a lot of the history that we get from this, I understand, comes from notes that Frank took. In fact, so, I think one of the books was found in a safety deposit box. Yeah, a lot of After notes. After his death. Well, when, when we... And they didn't even know about it. I mean, it was all of a sudden the bank called up, what do you want us to do with this safety deposit box? Yeah. They go there, there's a book in it. Well, and even then, um, when I talked to Brian Herbert on, uh, on Skype one evening, he mentioned that there were boxes and boxes of notes, too, that he had found. Okay, anyway, as far... And I'll run through these slides and then you know, open it up for discussion. Salim Wormreiter was the very first person to write a, a sandworm. He appeared in the Butlerian Jihad, which is the first book of in, in uh, chronological order. He was exiled from a Zensudi tribe, falsely accused of stealing water. Uh, he wasn't murdered, killed, executed for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is... Banning him to the desert is... Yeah. At yeah. this point, they weren't the Fremen yet, okay? And uh, he had melange-induced visions of spice harvesting and things like that, and he formed an outlaw band to stop the harvesting by a company called Venki Enterprises. 
and he was killed uh, when he was devoured by a sandworm, which he kind of sacrificed himself for that. And then we move forward in time to the slaves of Poritan. Uh, the slaves were forced to help build the first space-folding ships. Okay, and Teal Holtzman took credit for the engines, but they were actually designed by Norma Senva, who started the guild. She was like the very first uh, navigator. The slaves did revolt, and a laser gun hit a Holtzman shield. Now, if you remember the movies, they, they were the personal shields that they wore, and the result of that was an explosion that destroyed the a city. A nuclear explosion. Yes. And then the slave revolt ended, and a small group of the Zen Sunni slaves stole one of the space bowling ships and went to Arrakis to join Selim, and they, excuse me, they declared themselves to be free men, which was later shortened to Fremen. In fact, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Holtzman have one discovery of his own early on, built a reputation, got a reputation for that, and then it kind of dried up on him, and that's why he was absorbing these ideas of his assistant. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, that was the shields, too, that, that he had developed. Okay, the Fremen developed a lot of many, many customs. They organized themselves in the communities called sieges. The leader is called a naib, and one of the strongest naibs is... Stilgar. Stilgar, yes. And uh, he's usually the strongest and the best fighter in the tribe. And he can only be replaced uh, in one-to-one -one combat with someone stronger. It's almost, it's almost the way a, a lion pride works. Uh, the religion of them, they have a Sayadina, which is a spiritual leader of the Sikh. She is a Fremen version of a Bene Gesserit Reverend Mother. And uh, they worship the sandworms, and they call them Shai Hulud. Okay. Continuing with the customs, combat is very important. Before you go on, Jim, one of the uh, important things about that religious leader was her ability to ingest the poison converted, and run their religious ceremonies. Yes. And their religious ceremonies were pretty wild, too. Basically orgies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the Fremen are some of the best hand-to-hand -hand combatants in the universe. Uh, the conditions on Arrakis ensure that only the strongest of the people can survive. Now, say, for instance, if a, if a Fremen is blind, they get sent out into the desert to die, and they know that this is going to happen, and they accept it. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul Moadib, when he, when he lost his vision from the stone burner, he could still see, but then after he saved his son and daughter, Leto II, um, and... Timeline had changed. Yeah. He did lose his vision completely, and he walked out into the desert, but he didn't die. Uh, Fremen who do not use Holtz, the Fremen don't use Holtzman shields at all because the vibrations attract the worms. Any regular pulsation will attract sandworms. Okay, uh, many they have many many various weapons like lances, crossbows, mala pistols, and they use the weirding way which is not those machines that you saw in the 1984 film. 
It, it is, yeah. It that, was taught to them by Lady Jessica, Paul's mother. Yes. It's Taekwondo of the Betty Chesser. Yes. Um, Mala pistols are spring-loaded guns that propel poison darts, and then we talked about the weirding way. Most pri- uh, the most prized weapon that the Fremen have is the Chris knife, which is um, pictured there. Uh, it's a personally tuned blade. That blade belongs to the person that has it. It's made from the from the teeth of sandworms, and some are fixed and some are unfixed. Now the unfixed ones uh, have to be with the person that owns it. If they lose that knife or if they don't have it with them, it just dissolves and goes away. The fixed knives are more permanent. Okay, uh, the Fremen received their first Chris knife. Knife is a rite of passage into adulthood. And um, one of the most common taunts taunt that are used during battle is, May thy knife chip and shatter. And uh, Paul said that to Fade Rautha when, when he fought him. Uh, Not for, that Fate knew what he was talking about, but... Yeah. Well, and also, when Paul fought, I forget the guy's name, on the way back to Siege to Burr, when he killed that first kill. Yeah. It was Jameis. Yeah, Jameis yeah. had yeah. said to Paul, yeah. Major, his challenge, when he did that. Yep. Well, that explains that, yeah, they could break. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, probably the most important... Fremen custom is water conservation, the most notable custom of the Fremen. Uh, collect, they collect water in wind traps. They collect from the dead animals and people who have died. And then if, they, if someone is killed in combat, they distill their water from them, and then the person that wins is given uh, rings. And that kind of stands for wealth. Uh, each siege has a store of water underground. Uh, water is also collected in their still suits. And Fremen can survive for weeks in the open desert with a good uh, suit. If you, if you think about the water ring, they're simply a form of currency within the Fremen. And most water rings were worn by the women tied up in their hair. If you, if you go back in, in a, our history... You'll find that during the Middle Ages, our, the coins that they used were also hollow in the center, strung on uh, cords, and tied to belts. Mm-hmm. The American Indians called them wampums. Oh, neat. Mm-hmm. Okay. And They're then. Stone. <laughs> yeah. Now, at one point, Stilgar uh, walked in and he met uh, Duke Leto. Atreides the first, and Leto impressed him so much that he spit on the floor in front of Leto, which immediately Leto stood up and said, you know, this would be an insult to him, but to the Fremen, that is giving water, giving water from themselves, which is actually a sign of respect to them. Once, of course, it was explained to Leto, everything was cool. Uh, crying. I think Duncan did the explaining, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, Duncan was the yeah. one that did it. Duncan had spent a lot of time living with the Fremen to learn their customs because he believed that was the power base on Dune that the Emperor had ignored. Yeah. Well, he yeah. left uh, Arrakis. Uh, I mean, he left Kaladin weeks before 
the Atreides family did and the armies did. He was like an advanced guard set ahead. Well, they didn't they didn't realize, the Harkonnens did not realize how many Fremen there are, actually were. Because they're very good at, you know, avoiding being detected and everything. And the Harkonnens wouldn't respect them on a one-to-one basis either. That's right. Also, but, they pay, paid the well, Gil a high spice uh, price ride, yeah, to, ride keep the, to keep the satellites from... Uh, and the planet, planetologists. Yeah, kind the of honor that Duncan came covered to, up the senses. Mm-hmm. The honor that Duncan came had when he went to the Fremen is what impressed them enough to take him in and accept the Atreides yeah. when they came to Arrakis. Well, effectively, Duncan became a Fremen, which is why it's so bad that there's like what 10, 15 seconds of Duncan in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Trust me, in the books, there's a whole lot. Oh, I know. Like a dozen more of them. (laughs) Duncan becomes a really central character, which makes me wonder, when they cast the movies, did they tell Louis Jordan, who was a name name actor at the time, that, yeah, you're going to be in for a little bit... Louis Jordan wasn't Duncan. It was Richard Jordan. Richard Jordan. Richard Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, He's a name actor, too. Yeah, especially then. He's had Captains and the Kings. Uh, But the point is... As, as big a name as he was, did he know later on that in the other movies, if they had ever been made, he would have a major role? Yeah. Yeah, there, there should have been a lot more Duncan. Now, there is another version of that 84 movie that, three is, or four, yeah. that is way longer. Yes. And it's like four hours long. And yeah. if you're ever looking to, to watch that particular movie... It's directed by Alan Smithy. Mm-hmm. Does everybody know who Alan Smithy is? I think they show that on cable. They, there's a version that they show that's like rooted on. Yeah. Well, there's also the sci-fi version. It has a whole, uh, you know, this is the Lynch version with, okay. with uh, Lachlan and, and it's, those. It's it, it has a whole explanation of the Bene Gesserit, the Guild, and all before you even get started. Yeah, it's, it's in an artwork form. In artwork yeah, form, exactly. Yeah, it's very, very nice, very good artwork. Exactly. And it did lay down a lot. It's like, oh, so that's what that meant. But (laughs) that version of the movie is directed by a guy named Alan Smithy. Does everybody know who Alan Smithy is? Alan Smithy is a Screen Directors Guild name when the director does not want his name on the movie. So anytime you see an Alan directed by Alan Smithy, it means the director has disowned this this particular copy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is too bad, you know, because... Kind of like a bird. Yeah. I get a lot of arguments from people. They say, oh, the 1984 film was so good, and all that. It had Uh, such potential. It had the right look, and then they just went off to Kennebunkport. Yeah. That's why I, uh, when the sci-fi version came out, it was so much more like the the book. book. Yeah. Explained so much more. Because I could, when I was reading the book... And they went on. Yeah. When I read the book in 72, as I was reading it, I was visualizing... Mm -hmm them as they were in the sci-fi version, not walking around in solar cells. Pretty much. Yeah. Also, I'm going, your heads aren't covered. You're not wearing gloves. Yeah. You can't tell me that little thing stuck in your nose is collecting anything but boogers. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that at the time when the 84 film came out, they kept complaining that if you went with an accurate still suit, you wouldn't be able to see the actor's faces uh, for them to emote. They solved that problem with the abyss. 
that you had actors underwater. They had to breathe. They needed a good director. <laughs> True. Yeah. I I personally like the '84 film, and if anybody's looking for that extended version, it's four and a half hours long. It's actually a superior film. You can actually get it on YouTube. The whole thing. Um, but it still rains at the end. Yes. Yeah. Well, they had to get they had to get it, was it in funny, the version when I went to see it in the theater. The whole audience went, "Oh!" <laughs> it started to rain. And when you read that, <laughs> when you see the '84 film, you'll see these two little kids with Paul all the time, and people in the theater were there. Where are these two little kids come from? Who were they? Well, they're Janice's kids. He's responsible for them. He's responsible for them, but nobody ever tells you in the movie who these kids really are. No, because they've got to go through it so fast. Mm-hmm. Are really decent tone yeah. of the book. You know what's really neat, though? Um, I had heard about the book. I had zero interest in it until I saw the movie. That's when I started reading the books. And in the podcast, we get a lot of feedback from our from our audience that listen. And there are a lot of people that would have never done anything with reading the books had they not seen that 1984 so movie first. So it, it, yes, it was good. And I was the opposite. I read the book first. I was so anticipating the movie going, oh, it's going to be so good. And I went to the show and I walked out going, <laughs> I was so just, this is not what I envisioned. And see, I, I liked it. I sat there and I was like, the whole time, except for. I can't say I hated it. I didn't hate it. Except for Baron Harkonnen, which made me go, Ugh. Well, and in the book, he's supposed to look so harmless, like a fat Persian cat. So that nobody realizes just how dangerous he is. I mean, he's practically described that way by Herbert. He, he's incredibly and dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. As a, I'm sorry, I probably would avoid anybody who had giant boils all over their face. Yeah. Especially considering that if you read the earlier books, he's a very uh, Athletic, slim, slim, feral, yeah. child well, predator. Benny Gesserit get him. Yeah, the Benny Gesserit affected him yeah. of his insult to the Benny Gesserit. Yeah. So. Well, what so happened? He's got all that in his mind. Yeah. And the body's going. <laughs> what happened with that was, is the Benny Gesserit wanted him, wanted his genetic makeup in in the makeup in order to control the breeding, and. And he's like, ooh, girl cooties. <laughs> yeah. Helen's gay. Yeah. Oh. He like little boys, young boys. Helen Mohayam is the one that that he bred with. And she she went in and to him and he humiliated her horribly. Oh yeah. It's okay. really yeah, just in a, book. fine, here's an S T D to keep you coming. And then he raped her and that, that first child didn't last, so he she went back she again. And then she gave him uh she gave, changed his genetic makeup to take away that nice looking body that he had and turn him into actually a disease because Dr. Yui is the one that diagnosed him. Yeah. So anyway, uh, back to the and crying for the dead is also a a tribute. Uh, The Fremen during the time of Moadib, uh, instrumental in defeating the Harkonnens on Arrakis, instrumental in defeating the Emperor Shaddam Karino IV, allowing uh, Paul Moadib uh, to ascend to the throne. And uh, instrumental in Moadib's jihad. Now that was incredible. Um, how many worlds? Sixty-one billion lives lost. Ninety planets sterilized. 
and the demoralization of over 500 additional worlds and 40 religions completely wiped out. Uh, they did and not... It's a side note in the books. Yeah. They did not like this, what they were doing, a lot of them, because of the planets that they went to. They There were all different kinds of planets. There were other desert planets. There were ocean planets where the, where the atmosphere just bothered them. And finally, Stilgar himself said, I am done with this. And he went to Paul and he said, can you give me a job where I'm here on Arrakis, where I don't have to go to these other planets? So, um, but, but they were absolutely merciless. <laughs> during the Fremen, during the time of Leto II, um, Leto II had pretty well done away with the Fremen, and he brought in his own army of women that he called fish speakers. And basically, he, he wanted them to to be the army because they wouldn't fight with each other. Their egos wouldn't get in the way of what they were told to do. Uh, Leto would tell them, go do this. There's no question. They just go and do it. And it wasn't like someone was saying, well, I, I'm better than that person or something like that. So the Fremen just really kind of went away. Uh, terraforming of Arrakis had really gotten well underway. The planet was turning green. It, there was water everywhere. The sandworms were gone. They were all with Leto II. Uh, the Fremen were replaced by an all-female army. Uh, they still existed, but they'd lost their identity. And uh, most, if not all, the Fremen were destroyed during the Honored Mater attack on Arrakis, and which at that time was called Rakis. There were a group of people called uh, the Museum Fremen during Leto's time, where they they would act like they Think were Fremen. Virginia. Okay. Yeah. Today. They would act like they were Fremen, but they weren't actually Fremen. They didn't wear the still suits anymore, and people could go and say, oh, this is how they used to live. Uh, I think about the archway out in Kearney, where you can go and look and see different scenes of, of Indians living and things like that, and people dressed up in costume and going out and... But they were more reenactors. Yeah. And that's what Williamsburg, Virginia is. It's a bunch of reenactors. Yeah. Revolutionary yeah. yeah. It's like the SCA, except it's done with a paycheck. Yeah. yeah. So at any rate, that that's my... I think there's an interesting question here. Why is a group of people on a desert planet more prone, better at hand-to-hand -hand combat than other methods. Why do they excel in that? Well, also because energy weapons that seem to be wiping Saturday Night Special all the time attracts things that eat you. Whereas if you just fight each other, you could get it done and quick and run away before the work shows up to you. Well, also it's, it's the whole Fremen And of course society. that whole... But remember, I'm going back. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason for that becoming the society. I think, all right, yeah, I, I think I remember... But they also had mall pistols, which are spring-loaded. Part of, part of it was kind of like in Japan, where certain people were allowed weapons and certain people weren't. 
and the people who weren't developed hand-to-hand -hand combat in order to defend themselves. Then they changed farm implements into like sickles into those like your little knives, walking staffs and stuff like that. That probably is where that came from originally because of course the Imperials would have had all the weapons and the doodads and whatnot and your lower castes, your poverty people and whatnot. They wouldn't have had the money or the status to own anything like that, but they would still need to be able to defend themselves. So you figure out a way. Let's look at the planet though. What does a desert planet have more than any other planet? Sand. <laughs> which does storms, which obscures vision. So the, and the best disperse laser weapons. Oh yeah. And so the best way to attack your enemy is in close quarters. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So you learn a technique that allows you to use the sandstorms to surround your enemy and conquer him. That and that and then the role of the leadership taking over by hand-to-hand -hand combat probably enters into it too. I think that, that comes that second. Come, did that come before or after? Yeah, yeah. you go back. Which though, comes first, the chicken or the egg? If you look at his notes from way back, he basically. When he created the Fremen, he could trace the curve back to the Arabian Desert, yeah. back to that, back to Earth. Because and then they knew went, to tie it in to yeah, something we know. Yeah, so he sends them back there. They also were wanderers. Portion is considered by many Zenzubi wanderers the, their planet of origin, but it goes back farther. And there are clues in their language and the mythology show a far more ancient planetary roots. And there was like, what was there, eight stops on there? Mm -hmm. And Fortune was, what was Fortune? It was like the third stop or fourth. Uh, Bedel Tegiz was, and Harmotem uh, Har were the sixth. And Bedel Tegiz was the fifth. Mm -hmm. So they had these different stops on the, on the different planets on the way. So I mean, their history, if you look at the beginning of Dune, it's like the year 10,000, blah, blah, blah. Wow. And you can go clear back to our time in the Arabian Desert where, with the Bedouin background. And when, uh, when Of course, he, if you're a wandering race, being hand-to-hand -hand combat is useful in that. Yeah. You just probably can't take a lot of stuff with you. Yeah, and you're stealthy. You have to be yeah. stealthy. And like you can really you can just use carry. it once. Yeah, exactly. We're a knife. A man stabby, can cut. Stabby, stabby. Klingon can cut a thousand throats in a knife. Maybe he's running. A running man can cut a thousand throats. Well, and if you look at the way Paul Atreides got his name, what did the mouse in the second moon? Well, there's a scene in the sci-fi version where Paul's sitting out there after he and Jessica are fleeing, and there's a little sand mouse that sits there, and they never show that in the in the in the '84 movie. Yeah, just ask what what is the name of the moon? Yeah, what is the shadow in the second moon? We call that one Moadib. Mm -hmm. He goes, can I be known as Paul Moadib? Because it's not right to give up the name given to Father. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot. Uh, it traces back. Uh, like yeah, actually, the, <laughs> Herbert wanted. The Zenzumi religion belief is combined 
principles of Zen Buddhism and Sunni Islam. Freeman were the original Zen Sunni wanderers. So, I mean, when he wrote this, he kind of put a history into the religious belief in there. Freeman mm -hmm. are very unique individuals raised in science fiction. I mean, Herbert was a master of oh, doing never read any of his other work. Yeah. He's an incredible he just, world builder. Yeah. Very, very, very good at it. Whipping star. Mm -hmm. When I read him, well, even when I read uh, uh, Kevin J. Anderson and, and his son, I mean, I still get the same visual pictures in my mind yeah, that I got when I read Dune. Yeah. Maybe they maintain that very well. I think, though, too, with uh, Brian's and Kevin's mm -hmm. versions, there's more action than in uh, Frank's later books, mm -hmm. uh, which made it hard for me to read. In fact, there was a point I was thinking that these later books were, hey, we're the, you're a publisher over here, we want you to write more Dune books. But I finished the series. So he has to go read. But with Brian and uh, Kevin, I feel like they're they're mining the material better, and it just it just reads easier. Oh, definitely. Oh, Dune, the original Dune. Of course, was by the time plots he was writing, oh, the original Dune was good. Yeah. Plots within plots. By the time you read, read Chapter House Dune, wasn't Herbert undergoing treatment for leukemia by then? His wife had, by the end of by Chapter House, his, his wife had died. Yeah, yeah. but and he himself had gotten sick. Of uh, no, he was he was old, but he wasn't he wasn't uh, incapacitated at all. In fact, when he died, he was married to that young girl. I forget her name. But his wife had just has had just passed, and and uh, and you notice through at least I think through the Dune series by Frank Herbert, it gets more and more and more philosophical and more introspective. And really, for me, it was difficult to read. Let's discuss our plots within plots, within over and over again, instead of doing them. You know, and I'll tell you what, myself and my two partners on the podcast, when we got out of Chapter House and into the next book, it was like, thank goodness. <laughs> because I, Brian and Kevin move the story. They... They, yeah. they show you the story. They don't discuss the plots. Yeah, with yeah. They, they take it into some directions that I, I, I appreciate it and whatnot. I'm pretty sure I've hit the end of the point where I can read the book. Not because they're bad books. They're very good books. Okay. But they're about to lay down some smack that I just cannot read. It's like, oh my, if I were these people, I would kill myself. I could not live through this. Well, in my mind, Frank would write, and he would write a chapter... And it could go this way and this way and all different directions, and you get a roller coaster ride. Where Brian and Kevin, chapters are very short, and each one is a snapshot. Boom, this happened. Boom, that happened. Now we're going to move over here. Remember the this last one that I read, where I read that it ends with a copy of the computer from the Butlerian Jihad? wakes up and it's coming back yes oh I'm done I'm done <laughs> I can't face that <laughs> yes you got to it's I awesome I can't face that the best one of Frank and Brian I mean 
Brian, Brian and Kevin. Kevin's work. And you're reading it now, aren't you? Sandworms yeah. of Dune, yes. Yeah, how far are you through it? I'm um, about a third of the way. Oh, yeah, I won't say anything. Okay, good. <laughs> you did tell me about when you saw me, we talked in the art show, and you said, if you, what about water worms, ocean yeah. worms? And I go, it's already on, it's already on. Sea worms. Yeah, the, sea worms. They bring back a gola of Waff, who is, uh, the guild is being starved with spice from the Bene Gesserit. They are hoarding it, they are not letting any of it out, and Edric of the guild, a uh, guild navigator, tells Waff, we need spice, and we don't care how you do it. So this Waff goes and he engineers sandworms that can live in water. And then they take them to, um, I can't remember the name of the planet, but it's where the Sioux Stones come from. And the point in the book that I'm at, he's just released these worms into the ocean. And they're going to make spice that way. And this planet, too, has got a lot of bitty chisarette on it. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, the only thing I will tell you on this is that the first time that Benny Gesserit see these sea worms, they about have a shit fit. Really? Oh, well, yeah, they just... That. Whoa! Talk about oh. controlling bitches. They, yeah. they, um, they certainly are. Yeah. On this planet, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but... I'm um, thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm trying to remember, too. But um, they have... The Benny Gesserit get there... And the guys that are on there are being used as slaves by face dancers to dive down and find these Sioux stones. Now, there's there's uh, basically two forms of currency at this point in the saga. There's the Sioux stones and the spice. And the Bene Gesserit have the spice all sewn up. And they're letting it out very, very little at a time. And the Sioux stones... Um, as far as as far as the guild, of course, are worthless because they have to have that spice gas in order to fold space. in order to fold space. So, um, yeah. So the the currency, the Sioux stones, the Bene Gesserit came in. They did away with the face dancers on that planet and basically gave the slaves their freedom. And then the slaves chose to work for the Bene Gesserit to dive and get these Sioux stones. Well, at least I think they did. Those were the master Yeah. But they're really neat, too, in, in, in oh, yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, like, damn. I mean, Odrade, I, I just thought she was awesome. Marbella, she's pretty cool. So... <laughs> I do that one from Bella's Keep. Uh, I remember the, the, things, the things they do to each other. Yeah. In the name of the breeding program. And, and it's like, oh, wow. There was a time they were almost wiped out. Well, yeah. Well, on the it, on the ship that Duncan and, and, the, and everybody is on, they are asking for, Shiana asks for volunteers to become axolotl tanks. And they volunteer. Yeah. They just walk up and say, yeah, I'll do it. It's incredible. Well, and also, too, in that, that Stilgar's there. There's a lot of, you know, that uh, I was really kind of disappointed when the Fremen kind of disappeared you know, yeah. from the Doom series. I mean, they're pretty much, 
you know, they're not there anymore. And to me, they were like the... There's no longer a place for them. Well, no. when, they were peculiar they to that planet at that time. When they burned Dune, that was yeah. the end of the Fremen. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the end of the worms. I mean, the worms were gone someplace else. Leto had taken... No, somebody had taken one worm. Yeah, yeah that was... Yeah. Uh, that was uh, the Saddam's Bene, daughter. The Bene Gesserit took several to Chapter House. Yeah, yeah. And that's how they started. That's how they started uh, terraforming Chapter House into another Doom. Mm-hmm. That they did. What was it? Was one of um, his Karina's daughters that took it to Seleucus? One of Seleucus Agundas. I'm trying to remember because I thought it was, I thought it was Odraid. Well, she was a she's a Benny Gesserit, but she, uh, it's in the movie. She's in the trade. It's in the uh, Children of Dune. Children yeah, of Dune. God Emperor. Channel. Yeah. Miniseries. Yeah. yeah. It was in there when they took it to. Oh, I so see. So this is a It was kind of cool the way they they did this. I mean, I was wow. I remember that. Yeah. So they, that was the first. I think that was the first time yeah, that they like take the a worm off a rat. Well, but see, that didn't work out. No, they tried to get that to work out, and the reason was what Shaddam was trying to get Spice so he could corner the market, mm-hmm. and he had the Thylax oh, yeah, working on trying to make Spice synthetic Spice. Yeah, yeah, and where um, it it never became successful during his time. Well, it was funny, too, that if you compare the two movies of Dune and the one in the 84 version, uh, Jose Ferrer is an idiot, and he plays it very good as an idiot. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's awesome. The other one that was uh, in the sci-fi version, he wasn't quite as laughable as... uh, He he still had a little bit of fun, but Fenring was still his main guy. Yeah. Without Fenring, Karina would have been proud. Yeah. But yeah. nothing. you had Fenring in the sci-fi channel version. You mm-hmm. really didn't. You had to know he was there in the movie to mm-hmm. even know he was there. Yeah. Because Fenring was the one responsible for gradually poisoning uh, Shaddam's yeah, father gradually with spice so he would gradually die. And that was how uh, Shaddam ascended to the throne. Yeah. I mean, that was... You read it there. There's so much... And Rola is a much more interesting character. Lots within plots? In the oh, yeah. Than than oh, yeah. I mean, the best word for Rulon in, in the Dune film is vapid. She could just walk around all day going vapid, 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 and it really wouldn't have made any difference. <laughs> <laughs> she was sort of a non-entity. Yeah. I'll be the narrator. Okay. The, the big problem there, I think, is... She was is much more interesting in the, in the sci-fi series. Oh, Dune yeah. is too big to condense into a two-hour film. Yeah, but now they've done Lord of the Rings. But they well, actually, they took in... The Hobbit and made three movies. <laughs> yeah, they chopped out of Lord of the Rings and made it, what, a 50-hour movie? Something. Well, times have changed, too. Filmmaking was... Uh, the big thing when the 84 movie came out that everybody was talking about is how are they going to do the worms? How are how are you going to do a worm? Well, now didn't that earlier CG. guy that was trying to make um, the Dune movie? Yes, work from that out? Europe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing some storyboards oh, from that. Yeah, that was so cool. What was that right? The Yodorowsky. Yeah, yeah. Argentinian, I think. Mm-hmm. That's the one that um, oh, Chris Europe. Foss did all the 
pre-production artwork on. And There's some cool stuff. Yeah, there was really some cool stuff there. Yeah, the greatest movie never made. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, <laughs> I watched the series, the special they had on it. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to the Fremen part of it is that one of the things that Paul had such a problem with is convincing the Naibs not to kill each other off. Why are you killing off your leadership, your best leader? You know, and they say you're going to have to call Stilgar on someday. Well, why am I going to call Stilgar on? He's a great leader. I'm not going to kill him, but I need him. You know, and, and it was really hard for him to convince the, the different sieges to change their habits of this and preserve their leaders, not kill them. Yeah, that's because he and Jessica came in mm-hmm. with a whole different effective philosophy. Mm-hmm that allowed them to even consider uh-huh. change. Well, also it helped a lot that Jessup becomes a Sidena. You know, she's the one that becomes the, the leader of the... The religious leader. The religious leader that way. God says he wants you to change. Huh? No, she doesn't okay. stay on duty. No, she didn't stay on duty. She didn't need no, to. She went back to Calvin. She got to the point where she didn't need to be there. She just wanted to go home uh, to Calvin. Okay, her crazy daughter hung around. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't her fault. It wasn't. <laughs> she didn't ask to have change the water of a life in the womb. It wasn't no, her fault. I wanted, uh, I was, what always struck me about that was why she ended up with the Baron as her as her gatekeeper. I mean, she was female. The Bene Gesserits were all, their memories were all female. Mm-hmm. So why was it the Baron? That's her grandfather. Yeah, but <laughs> the point is... It was all female memories, all mm-hmm. going down through the matrilineal line that's been established. Why yeah, does her? Why does she have a man? She was abomination. Yeah. I mean, so they I shouldn't have changed it. I I don't know for sure why that did. You know. I, mean, I think that's it's an anomaly that I just. It was just was, one of those. When I first read the book, it's like I'm 17, going really. And uh, although as a writer, that makes well no done. sense mm-hmm. to do it that way. Because he's more evil than just about anybody else in the yeah. yeah. And Aaliyah was was really not doing a horrible job until the Baron came forward and started torturing her. Right. And it basically drove her crazy. I mean, she was very happy with Duncan and everything was going along just fine. And Paul's out wandering the desert. And um, then here comes the Baron. You want to know what's ironic about that? is the Baron gets resurrected as a Gola and Aliyah is in his brain. Payback's <laughs> a bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she's just... She with is, or without the STD. With what? With or without the STD. The Gola. Was he the still Baron. fat and pussy? Was he still fat? He was oh. a fat little kid. Tortured an- little animals... And and he he even before he regained his memories, you know, they have to they have to awaken the memories right. in the Gola. Right. And and he loved to play with the kitties. Uh-huh. Wasn't Duncan the first one they did that with? Uh, yes. Duncan, yes. He yeah. needed a bigger cat to play with. Slash. <laughs> yeah. But they used Duncan. He, Duncan was resurrected as a assassin to kill yeah. Paul. But those awakened memories, he kept fighting with himself. He 
because he knew there was a connection to Paul. He wouldn't do it. He, he was fighting with him. That's really a good part of the, the book when you're reading back and forth, the struggle that Duncan's going through to do it. And finally at the end, instead of killing the twins, he kills the face dancer. Yeah. Well, it was Skytail that was, that yeah. was threatening the twins. Mm-hmm. So, but I'll tell you what, it... <laughs> Reading about reading about Alia in the in the new Baron's head, I don't know where that's going, but it's wild. You'll be surprised where it goes. Don't tell me. I'm not, <laughs> not going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you to be surprised. It's very good. That to me, that's the best of the books. The yeah. one you read the Sandworms are doing. It's just really. Um, it was a fun read for me. I enjoyed it. And got that, a lot of good ideas for artwork in it. <laughs> see now, now isn't now what I understand is is that Hunters of Dune and Sandworms of Dune and Chapter House. Chapter House was supposed to be the first book in a trilogy, and then Hunters and Sandworms is what is finishing that particular trilogy. No, you got to have the Rise of Machines in there first. Well, the machines are coming back. Yeah, but... In sandwiches. Yeah, but... <laughs> I can't tell you. I cannot tell you! <laughs> but I think that the rise of the machines, it was coming before this. This was, you know, shortly after the... Shortly before the Batalian, or whatever you say that. The Butlerian Jihad. Butlerian Jihad. You know, because that was the eradication of... of that. What basically I think they did is they did some prequels before Dune, actual being on Iraq is some of those, and then they started doing afterwards also. Yeah. Because to me, I'm reading the reading Sandworms was to me was a pretty good culmination. I mean it kind of ties up a a lot of loose ends for 10,000, 20,000 years. Yeah, I mean, well, it, they go back and forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not it's not chronologically done. No. As bad as Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. Ah. If everybody <laughs> follows, if, everybody, if you follow that one, he didn't write them in order either. <laughs> so do any of you have any comments about the Fremen or Dune? pretty much anything else? Fremen were always were my favorite part, and I have to admit, because of the '84 movie, I I liked Everett McGill as Stilgar. Yeah. Um, yeah when when I read a book and they they mention Stilgar, that's the picture that comes in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just like Jurgen Prochnov, when they say Duke Leto, that's. It seems like the casting in the movie was better than in the miniseries, I thought, because because they. They had the look. For the most part, a lot of people look. Like uh, I don't know. Patrick Stewart was prettier than I thought. Uh, well, oh, he was lots prettier. I mean, than for the most part, part. Yeah. I think I was supposed there to be a few. Lovely. See, what it's funny well, that when I, I first moved back here in 1976, I had told my brother to read Dune, and when he come, when I came back, we sat there one night discussing. This was in. This was shortly before TotoCon, which was some of you people who remember TotoCon. That was uh, March one seven, shot. one shot, March seventy-seven. But it was a great convention. Uh, so we got together one night and decided who, at that time, would we pick to be 
play the roles of everybody. Well, for Duke Leto, we picked Christopher Lee at the time because of oh, the yeah. hawk head back and everything like that. <coughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Baron Harkonnen was, oh God, I can't remember his name. He was a big, very large man with a goatee and a baldish head. He was in, I can't remember his name, but for Gurney Hallock, we picked Kirk Douglas. Because if you ever saw a movie, The Vikings? Yes. Okay, the scar with his eye ate out like that. That, to me, was Gurney Hallock. The heat vine scar running down and just uh, like in Spartacus. I yeah. mean, beat up. He, yeah, beat up. He had that, but he was still deadly. But that's why I say in the. We shall call you Muad'Dib. That was more, <laughs> more the Gurney Halleck than Patrick Stewart. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I didn't say that it was, that it was perfect. I said it was yeah. better. Well, yeah, it was a much prettier picture. Because the, cause the uh, miniseries, when you have these blonde. Blonde haired Aryan types playing Duke and Leto and Paul. They were all Italians. <laughs> yeah, but like they were, I mean, like they were blonde. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so from I mean, like Northern were, Italy, and where they mixed with Germans. Jet black hair with dark eyes, and it's like they, they did it better in the movie. The, overall, the look. Overall. The look. Well, even, even in the miniseries, I thought the age was kind of off. Yeah, it was. You know, because Liet was a young guy. And Paul, it's always hard to find someone, a child that's going to... I liked the Paul from the miniseries better than I did the 84 movie. Okay. But Fade, Rautha, was, in Fade. the miniseries was just... Uh, I, don't, I don't think they did... They, they didn't do justice to the Harkonnens in the miniseries because they seemed about as menacing as milk toast. They thought. You know what else drove me crazy in the miniseries? The costumes, yeah. The the um, yeah, some of the butterfly stuff, yeah. Yeah, there's some really weird uh, drugs. It explains it all. <laughs> they paid very little attention to the servants. Um, well, the uh, I can't remember. Have you seen I, a lot of I can't remember classic their names now, but Italian like sci-fi movies? The Mentat. I think the only one I really awesome. remember is Planet of the Vampire. Oh, you see some other ones. Then you'll understand the costuming. I've seen a lot of sword and sandals. I have a question with the group from Omaha here. There was a few months back uh, at a place called Film District downtown. They played the Duke movie that you never made. Oh, yeah, Junior Huskies. Kids, you get to see that. I, I, I saw that at had it. I saw that at Dan and Lincoln. Yeah, at the Ross. My computer God, that was cool. cool. Somebody actually did the movie the way it was supposed to be done correctly. And all the darkness from the Remember the series Aliens? Mm -hmm. Well, those guys made that idea for, you know, that, that perfect darkness as for the movie. Somebody actually that took that plot lines and her storyboards. And turned it into something? Yeah, because uh, 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 names are suddenly all of a sudden driving, driving out of my head. The Swiss, uh, Giger, H.R. Giger yeah. was hired to was brought in the Yodorowsky project. still alive? In, in Yodorowsky's tune, he's brought into that to do a lot of the, a yeah. lot of that got incorporated into Alien. Yeah, all the other stuff that were created in Alien we actually, it didn't yeah. get, the dude that was never made, it, it didn't make it in the alien, but like a lot of it ended up in Prometheus, uh, a lot of the imagery. So it, um, it, uh, it's very strange. Uh, 
Yeah. But uh, Wachowski's probably would have been very inaccessible. Because it would have been like, what, 20 hours long? And, well, that's all. And they yeah. asked, he actually, I don't know when he actually read the book, but it wasn't. When he was, when he was telling The casting was interesting in that, too, who they were casting. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, Salvador Dali as, uh, as uh, Emperor Shaddam. Yeah, and they, what was uh, David Carradine? He was going to do something. Or not. The Kung Fu guy. Yes, David Carradine. Carradine. Yeah, he was going to do something. And I don't remember who. And he'd already signed a contract, got paid some money before. Oh, yeah, um, Orson Welles is going to be Baron Marconan. Yeah, that yeah, was the one that I was thinking about earlier. I don't know how many of you people uh, remember Victor Bono. Yeah. That would have made a great Baron Von Hart. I can see Orson Welles. Oh, yeah. That, that <laughs> I'm so harmless exterior, and yet you can see in his eyes just how evil he oh, yeah. was. Yeah. Gunnarowski uh, is insane. Like the third man. He, he got everybody caught up into this insanity. insanity. Yeah. Everybody's falling into it. I, I know people like that. And it was, it, was, it was clearly an adventure and fun for them. Mm-hmm. And I can like I was almost caught up in it watching the, the documentary. Yeah, the documentary of it, you need to see yeah. it. Here it was so cool. This is the one that you wanted to make that was never made, mm-hmm. and there is still a chance outside they may do it with an animation version and do it regularly in a way that it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been other true to hours of a novel. Correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. The thing that got me that, about that one is that uh, as an artist, influenced me was Chris Foss. I mean, the stuff he come up with, his some of his ships and his spice, all the different ships things. Remember how spaceships used to be these uh, uh, metal boxes? Uh-huh. Well, thanks to trying to redo, ships became organic and started to be living uh-huh. in space. And the teeny little things, and uh, yeah, it, and that's all thanks to the movie that was never made. Because all those people, all those people are still created. Yeah. And now all the movies that came out later were just all because it wasn't for that movie that had been made. They brought in yeah. they brought in Jean Jean Girard into that too to, to do some of the design movies. They 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 collaborated later on 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 the comic series with Incal. So uh, I I've only seen bits and pieces of that, but it's like See, when it was first being uh, brought out and it was first being discussed and people were talking about it, I first got wind of it in Playboy magazine. They had a big article on it with uh, all of Fossil, a good three, probably six or eight of Fossil's illustrations in there. And I just hit the illustration on, whoa, this is just pretty. The one that sticks in my mind is the spice. Uh, freighter leaking spice out. Yes. That is yeah, really exactly. kind of a neat I went, wow, that's a pretty cool picture. Yeah. I'll tell you what, anybody here see Jupiter ascending? Yeah. You want to talk about something that looks like Dune more than Dune did? It looks like it. Yeah, the, the those uh, ship designs and everything look like, and I mean that that guy could have been the Baron. Skinny. Really? Yeah. Oh, it was, it was absolutely incredible. Horrible movie, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's Great just, special effects. Yeah. You just yeah. the sound off and provide your own dialogue. Well, I don't know. When I was watching it, I kept saying, this sounds like you. I was Ju- so, so excruciatingly bored. <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, I was sitting there. My daughter was sitting with me in the theater, and we're watching, and it got about 20 minutes in. And I'm thinking, 
what am I sitting here for? And then four people got up and walked out yeah. at the same time. I wanted to, but, you know, it's like... You paid your money. Know. <laughs> no, it did not. Because fans are all masochists. But, but <laughs> I just... I thought it was really fascinating the way that the way that the ship designs and everything looked like Dune. I didn't think of that, but, yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, I know, and you told me, talked about that, and you said, yeah, it had that Dune feeling yeah. to it. And I haven't seen it. I didn't. We don't go... Only time we really Close go to science fiction when you give us a call. So let's have, let's go down there, <laughs> have a movie party. Yeah. Yeah. If you can get that documentary, a lot of things on the screen. Really good visual pictures. The costumes. The book that they have that the people come to do the movie together. There, it's the size of a coffee table. There's one coffee table. It's this big. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's pages of artwork, and the whole thing is done. You know, and I wanted to see that, and I was going to order that that DVD until it was twenty five bucks, and I said, "Hell with that! I don't need that." (laughs) Really. It's got to be on. It's probably on YouTube by now, though. Yeah, you can you can just feel yourself being carried along with this enthusiasm, this madness. Huh. And I still have the chance of it being. I showed uh, clips of his of some of his past movies, and it's like, what are you thinking? I mean, like, yeah, this guy is insane, but like they were very visually stunning movies. And, like wow, like a Sacred Mountain is one. How come they didn't make it? Was it just too much money, or it just it, it kind of visual? They couldn't handle the ideas. It, well, like, well, what happened was it got too it got yeah. too big because it was going to turn into a twenty-hour movie. Yeah, there's no way they can do it all the time. Do any of you think that it would be possible to make a good Dune movie that the fans would accept? Hmm? But Lord of the Rings is in three parts, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's massively chopped. And yeah. still massively chopped. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not happy with Lord of the Rings myself. So. I'm. I, see, I've never seen it. I'm not into the fantasy end of it. I honestly believe, after reading just just the novel Dune, to do it right, I don't think is possible. Oh yeah. What would you say the Japanese did a rendition of theirs? It was thirty-six hours long. It's very good. You're talking Not about uh, Anna the Blue Water. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good rendition. Of, uh, and if anybody out here is an anime fan and knows Evangelion. Oh, and to, to really answer your question, I'm probably not the person to ask about Evangelion. To, to close this off and answer the question of can they make a really good movie from Dune? Look at the Game of Thrones. But they do. The, the animation is great. I've heard about it. It's the, each book 
is one oh, season. Okay. Now, the angels were interesting. It was the robots that broke it Does that mean everybody has to die? No. You have to oh. like them, then they can die. I think, honestly, that a good version visual movie of Dune can be done. It's just going to take the right group of people to do it, and they have not done it yet.